Welcome to the Justice Report. I'm your host, Jam. And I'm Salam. In our ongoing analysis of the intersection between racism and poverty, we realize that we need a supremacy not of race, but of justice. And so we dive into the policies which, for all intents and purposes, practically are showing us that black lives don't matter. That's right, Salam. And this conversation isn't complete without talking about the building block of black lives, black moms. So today we're talking about maternal mortality and infant mortality in the black community here in the USA. Salam, did you know that the death rate of black babies relative to white babies is actually higher today in 2020 than it was in 1850. That's insane. I mean, it makes sense uh, from what I've heard in uh, Talib Kweli's song, Black Girl Pain, that it was more than just what she was talking about. There was stuff between the lines. You know, um, if y'all remember from the beautiful struggle, uh, the hook goes, growing up days as a black girl scarred. In so many ways, though, we've come so far. They just know the name. They don't know the pain. You know, like, that's that's really intense. It's really telling you that there's just so much more to what black women have to go through and it's totally not necessary and i didn't know how loaded the song was and i didn't know maternal mortality was such an issue in the black community until just a few years ago so to our listeners we should forewarn you that we're talking about something that is incredibly heavy and disheartening with a guest who has a lot of experience in this world But there is a light at the end of this tunnel, and we're going to talk about that today, too. So without further ado, let's get started. Our guest today is Kenda Sutton-L. Kenda is the executive director of the Birth in Color RVA Foundation and has worked as a doula for 10 years. Originally from the Northern Neck, she is now living and working in Richmond. Welcome to the show, Kenda. Hey, Kenda. Hey, how are you? We are doing great. How are you today? (laughs) I'm doing well. Wonderful. So to start off today, Kenda, do you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? I am Kenda Sutton-Nell. I am the co-founder of Birth and Color RVA. I am a holistic nutritionist, a certified lactation consultant. I am an American Red Cross incident CPR instructor, among other things. We understand that you're a doula. For those of us that don't know, can you explain what it is that a doula does and why doulas are important? Yes, a doula is a non-medical support person that provides support to parents during the childbirth experience. So it's typically, sometimes it's prior to childbirth and sometimes it's during um, the prenatal period and then other times um, it's during the labor process. Mm, mm. You know, so being a new dad, I didn't know the word doula until my wife was going through the pregnancy. And up until then, I thought it was like medulla oblongata but I appreciate you being able to uh, explain this to our, 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 our listeners who may not be parents yet uh, or did not know the word doula. Uh, so thank you for your work in this space. But what was it uh, that made you find working in this space necessary? Um, the maternal mortality rate is three times higher to die during childbirth than white women. You mean like 40 years ago, not today, right? No, today. That is still the, the numbers, and it's increasing. Uh, can you talk a bit about why that is, why those numbers are increasing? What are the trends that we're seeing? I found out that it's really due to racism. I know that some professionals are saying that it's because of underlying conditions, 
and it's not because of underlying conditions because there has been the healthiest of moms that have had the same issues. I know that a lot of people are familiar with um, Beyonce, Serena Williams. Um, they're also familiar with Judge Hatchett's um, daughter-in-law, mm. who mm. actually, Judge, Judge Hatchett's daughter-in-law actually lost her life during labor, even though they were reminded several times that an issue was going on and no one addressed it because black women are not listening to. You know, um, it's 2020. We have state-of-the-art medical care that lets robots do surgery these days. Now, what is it, what's the underlying racism that is causing black women and babies to die at a greater rate than any other ethnicity? Is it something in the med school system, or, or what, what's going wrong here? I would find that it's in the med school system. If you remember history, we've always been the target of trying different surgical procedures, being experiments, and stuff like that. So I still believe that that's the mindset of the providers. Most of them will say that, oh, black women are just dramatic or they don't want to listen to what we have to say because it appears that we can hold, um, take a lot more pain than others. You know, this reminds me of a, a really great Malcolm X quote that, uh, Bryce, we can queue up, uh, where Malcolm X talks about the, the situation that we're, we're seeing today as it was a few decades ago, too. The most disrespected person in America that is, definitely is the black woman. happening today. The most unprotected one, a person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Why? Why is this the case for black women? Why are black women going through this? Because of racism, racist issues that still have not been brought to the forefront. And we need to dismantle the system and rebuild it um, because our lives were not valued during that time. And it's still not valued. I mean, we have police brutality and everybody's protesting now, um, which the black male is definitely important, but they still have to remember that the black woman is just important as well. So while we're protesting, we need to think logically because we should be protecting black women from the hands of providers and protecting black men from police brutality. So do you have any stories from clients that illustrate this issue in a nutshell for us? Yes. Um, I do have a story. Um, one of my clients had a fibroid during pregnancy. Everyone knew, everyone was aware. And Kendall, what is a fibroid? A fibroid is a big mass. Um, usually it's mucus and scar tissue all build up and it keeps forming and growing. And sometimes during pregnancy it grows more. Mm. Sometimes it, um, people will take medication to dissolve it or sometimes it will be surgically removed. And what are the consequences of the fibroid if it is not addressed? If it's not addressed, it just it it will alter the whole um, the whole state of the body. Could it be fatal? And it causes a lot of issues, pain, um, especially during the menstrual cycle. You'll be be in extreme pain because your body knows that something foreign is there. Mm. And can this be fatal for mothers? Yes, it it can be fatal in some instances, so, and that's why it's necessary to be surgically removed if it continues to grow at a, at a um, large rate. All right, so you had a patient that had a fibroid. Everyone was aware um, of the fibroid. So during the labor process, um, it was a completely beautiful birth. She did um, a natural birth. I kept reminding that, that she does have a fibroid, so we need to be prepared. Um, one of the midwives said to me, oh, it's really, really small. We don't have to worry about it. I said, no, it's a nine centimeter 
sideboard. And she said, well, that's not what my paperwork says. I said, well, I know from the visits, the pictures, that it is a nine centimeter sideboard. So long story short, we go into into the labor process. She is in the third stage um, pushing. And once baby comes out, um, they had, she had been a episiotomy to get baby out. Um, and that's where they cut um, the cervix area to help baby come out a little easier. There was a lot of blood. They said, oh, I think it's from the cut. I said, no, that's too much blood for it to be from a cut. Um, and then I said, remember, she has a fibroid. I believe it's the fibroid. I think the, the body is trying to contract the fibroid out. And once um, they brought in all these specialists and stuff like that, because they still, in their minds, thought that this was a little teeny fibroid. And so long story short, they had to give her shots um, and injections to try to stop the blood. So once the blood, um, they had got it under control, or so we thought, um, everything was okay. We were, I was um, showing her how to properly breastfeed and all of that type of stuff. So once we got to past that point, I get a call at 2 a.m. in the morning, and it's from the, the husband. And he's saying, they, everybody's just rushed in here, and they're saying, we need to listen to them, we need to do this, and we can do this, and it's life or death. I don't know what to do. Black women die. I don't want her to die, and stuff like that. So I said, okay, let me call you right back. I called up to the hospital. I asked for the nurse um, midwife that was in charge, and she actually instructed me and was telling me, there was something that we have to explain things to them thoroughly so they can properly understand. She's like, well, I need you to tell them that they need to let us do our job. And I said, well, I need you to explain to them. I said, matter of fact, hold on, hold that thought. Let me go ahead and drive. Um, I'm, I'm on my way. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, we need to get her in surgery. She's losing a lot of blood. And so that's when I say, okay, I'm coming in with you. I'll be there in 15 minutes. And so I call the, the husband back and I tell him the situation and I explain to him in realistic terms so that he can understand and once he understood what was going on, he was like, okay. So they had took her, and when I was coming in the hospital, the midwife greeted me, and that's when I was able to, to be um, brought up to speed on what was going on. But um, we were able to, to save her. She is completely healthy now. Um, but that's just one of the stories that had they not had a doula that was like really up to speed, these are things that could have been her life. Mm. Mm. Now, a lot of people didn't know that maternal mortality was an issue uh, until a couple of years ago when Serena Williams and Beyonce all um, had co- very complicated births. Uh, Serena Williams said that she could have died from giving uh, birth to her child. So we're seeing that these are two women at the top of their professional fields, and you would think that this would be more of an issue facing those women who are living in poverty. So. Is, I guess the, the answer is, is that this is a racist, um, uh, dis- disparate impact. Uh, but are you seeing... Yes. Are you, are you, go ahead. No, go ahead. Are you seeing this in greater numbers then on, a, on, a po- uh, on those women who are living in poverty? No. It's, I, I see it all the way across the board. Um, Everyone wants to blame it on something because some people do not want to say that racism is still alive today in 2020. Um, and, and that's the real issue. Um, I've been at certain roundtables where people do not understand that racism is the issue. And when you say it, it's like they've seen a ghost um, until you actually can, can, can bring it to the forefront. And that's why we teach the racial bias training as well, because 
if it's happening to the disparities, yes, they have lack of access. But it's also happening to the wealthy women as well. So what do the two have in common other than their race? I've heard that black women with a college degree have a higher chance of dying during childbirth than a white lady with an eighth grade education. Um, clearly, it and seems, that is correct. Yeah, seems to be just it. It truly is just about race. So, if there's somebody out there who's like, "No, this is not racist," how can you get through to them, or do you even bother trying to get through to them that this is a problem based on racism? Um, usually, and sometimes I just won't say anything. I'll just like, "Okay, you're still in the. You still want to be in the olden days, and and, want, and you don't want to address the issue." Or sometimes I'll say, okay, let's just pull up the CDC data. 68% of those black women who died, they were all preventable deaths. So it's not like we're the only race that has the underlying condition. Because when you look at the numbers, they have underlying conditions as well. So what is the, what is the other issue? That those, they were able to treat their, un, their underlying conditions, but you weren't able to treat ours. So, Kenda, we've seen studies that show deeply held racial biases in med school students. What are some other ways that we see racism permeate our medical institutions and um, that have deadly consequences for black women and their babies? I'm sorry, I did not hear what you just said. No, I apologize. I said we've seen studies that show that there are deeply held racial biases in med students. And I was wondering if you could speak for a bit about the ways that racism permeates our medical institutions that has deadly consequences for black women and, and their babies in particular. So in, in med school, none of those, none of the students are actually taught about racial bias training um, or racial bias or different things that happen that is racist. Um, and that's what we're seeing more of. And that's why everyone is saying, oh, they're using the words like cultural competency trainings and stuff like that. That has become so trendy that I don't even say it anymore mm. because it's just like a pass over. We need to stop allowing them to pass over and pacify situations, and they actually need to rectify it. So what does that mean, racial bias training? Is that, what goes into that, or what can people learn from that? So what the racial bias training is, it's actually bringing the, the racial bias to the forefront. It's training, it's giving you different options, different observations. It's like a case study that you're given to show how in certain instances you are racist. Mm. Um, and, and these are things, and, and then it also follows up with, these are ways that you can change this. This is things that you could have said rather than doing it this way. So is it like an SAT so test to see what my score is on how racist I am? <laughs> it's a, a lot more deeper <laughs> than the SAT test, but it's kind of like okay, real life situation, right? And you're giving it to them, and you're training them, and you're giving them different ways to look at um, different observations to see that some things that they do, and, and typically the trainings that I do after it's over, they're they're like, wow, I did not realize that that's happening. Like I remember talking to some OBs before. And I said, you don't ask women to touch them. You just touch them. Mm. Like, it's okay. And and so they sent, they had a text going on in the group chat. And all of them were like, oh, my gosh, we are so sorry. We did not realize that we were actually doing that. That's just the way that we were trained. So Go ahead. these trainings give a, a surface level of self-awareness of the deeply held cultural and racial biases that these med students have. What other changes would you like to see 
in the medical system in this country? In the medical system, I would like to see them actually have doulas available um, in the hospital setting. I would also like them to see them have real patient advocates um, that aren't actually afraid to speak up because we have everything already. Kind of going back to the uh, racial ahead. bias, uh, what are some examples of the of a bias that that white doctors or white uh, medical staff would have towards black women? So that for those who may be medical students and are listening, they can become aware that this is a racist thought. So, um, for instance, it's in their eyes, every black woman has it, it eats unhealthy. Um, in their eyes, every black woman um, can tolerate a little bit of pain or we're super dramatic or we're aggressive if we demand certain things that we believe that we should already be, have been asked or a way that we should have been treated. Okay. I've heard um, that sometimes uh, black, pregnant black women will develop a, I don't want to say comorbidity, but um, a health risk during their pregnancy that had they been white, it would have been been caught quicker. Uh, and so once it goes through yes. in, a, in a black woman, then it does become a comorbidity and she could end up passing away. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I can give you an example like preeclampsia. Preeclampsia is something that happens during um, childbirth. They don't know like exactly where it actually comes from, but it does appear. And black women, it's kind of treated at the very, very last minute instead of saying, okay, let's look at these results. Let's look at the testing. Because, I mean, pregnant women go to the doctor a lot. Hmm. So these are things that have, could have been seen already. And then so it's, and for people who don't know what preeclampsia is, it's like built up fluid in the body. and elevates the, the blood pressure. So um, you have a kid. Kenda, you're a doula. I don't have a child. Can you talk about what high blood pressure will do during a pregnancy? Because I honestly don't know, and I'm sure there are plenty of listeners out there right now that don't know themselves. So high blood pressure can cause a lot of things to go wrong during the birthing process. Um, you'll have swelling. Sometimes the, the fluid will get too much to where it starts to, to get around the baby's heart. Sometimes it um, takes away from baby's oxygen to, get, um, to fuel the oxygen to the baby. So these are things that will elevate and that will um, increase your risk of a C-section. Oh, wow. I, uh, this is some heavy information, Kenda. Uh, tell me at least something, something good from here. Are you at least going out there and training med students or medical staff about this so that they can be in the know now? Yes, I actually do provide the racial bias training to providers. Um, we are trying to get it into the hospital settings and the med schools, but right now I just go to different providers' offices and um, train them. Nice. So on a policy level, now you know, look, we're we're now getting into the solution part. You've talked about racial bias training, the work you're doing there. On a on a policy level, I understand that you helped Delegate Lacherise aired with a uh, maternal mortality bill she introduced last year. Can you tell us a little bit about that bill? Yes, that is. Um, Delegate Air is amazing. When um, we we actually specifically wrote up different information for this bill, it is a doula bill that um, Medicaid clients are able to. Medicaid is able to pay for doulas for Medicaid clients, and so the thought is for community-based doulas, Black women, to be able to be doulas um, for the women of disparities. 
And the reason why it was wrote up that way is because if racism is going on, and yes, we do have a lot of white doulas in the Richmond area, but we want to make sure that they are properly trained in racial bias training. So in order for you to become get paid by Medicaid, you have to have went through a series of trainings. But the study is still going on, so um, we're still working on that, the rest of the details. And is that because white doulas can harbor those very same biases that white doctors and other medical staff have? Yes, that is true. And we have to think about it. Maternal mortality is literally trendy right now. So if you look at all the organizations who all of a sudden are saying, oh, we want to fight for maternal mortality, but they didn't fight for it previously before it, before all of this came about. But their organizations are more likely to get the funding mm. than our organization because it's a white woman-led. Uh, and so for any of the listeners out there that want to donate or want to fund a training project for doulas of color here in Richmond, Virginia, where can they go? They can actually go to www.birthincolorrva.org. We also have a GoFundMe charity page, and you can always find us on social media platforms, including Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Birth and Color RVA. Now, what's next in the advocacy world? You got the doula Medicaid bill through. What, what are you planning for next year? So next year, I am planning for to tackle the Maternal Mortality Review Board. A community advocate needs to be on that board. I plan on developing a perinatal collaborative um, and taking some of the money that goes to BNPC, uh, which they get $300,000 a year to put on a couple of summits and webinars. Um, I have doctors who have not been able to get their research information to them because they have not been responsive. So I don't feel like they are actually about maternal mortality. Uh, that that acronym you mentioned, uh, PMBC, what does that stand for? The Virginia Neonatal per, um, Perinatal Collaborative. Oh, wow, okay. Now, so with this collaborative being statewide, do we see different uh, disparities uh, throughout the state in how bad maternal mortality is in certain parts of the state? Or is it all across the board uniform? Yes. Um, it's bad in all, all across the board. Um, in some areas, it is worse than others. Like the Tidewater area, it's worse for them. Their hospitals aren't even up to par like Richmond's hospitals. Richmond's hospitals actually listen to doulas. They listen to what we want. They bring us in. We have meetings. We talk about different things and different ideas of how to do the natural birth process. Um, but Tidewater has a long way to go. And like the Northern Neck, where I'm actually from, they don't have a maternity hospital. So those women have to drive two hours to actually deliver their babies. Wow. Now, as someone that's from Tidewater, shout out to all my 757 family out there. Um, what is it about Tidewater that they're not doing that Richmond is doing? Um, those hospitals just think that because they own the hospital, they aren't as friendly as Richmond. Um, I've had several births there that I've had to have, like, receipts and documents to say that the patient has rights and they don't have to do that. Um, and it's been, a, like, an uphill battle. So they made you come correct in Tidewater. They made it hard. Yes. Yeah, and they did not listen. They did not want to budge. Um, some of the hospitals are not baby-friendly. Um, baby-friendly is a program that you actually encourage breastfeeding and all of those type of things as well. So they have a, a, a long way to go. We have a lot of advocacy work to, that needs to be done um, that we are working on for the Tidewater area. Mm. 
And when somebody, uh, for our listeners who do want to get involved in helping you advocate, how can they reach out to you or get in touch? Um, you can always reach out to us at birthincolorrva.org or our email address is birthincolorrva at gmail.com. Yeah, that sounds very doable. <laughs> you stole my joke, Salam. I, I stole, I'm so upset. I stole Jim's joke. I did. Uh, <laughs> confession, I did. Yes, you did. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Kenda, we want to thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, speak with us today and uh, with our audience. Although this is something that we should be taking on ourselves to learn about and we shouldn't, you know, task you with this, um, with this burden, uh, we do thank you for coming here and taking time out. And we will continue reading more. Uh, there's so much, unfortunately, there's so much data out there, reports to read. Um, just go ahead and Google maternal mortality in the black community and you will be surprised that this is not something at the forefront. Uh, but when you do think about Black Lives Matter, when you think about the phrase, think about maternal mortality. Think about how women who should be doing something as simple as childbirth, which has been happening for tens of millions of years, it still is fatal in and, this day and age. And I would like to add, as we're having these discussions about defunding police departments because of the baked-in white supremacy in those institutions, and we're talking about outsourcing that labor to the medical field in some degree. We also need to be talking about the baked-in white supremacy in those very same institutions we want to outsource to. Otherwise, we might be going right back to the drawing board in a couple of years. Kenda, any last thoughts? Always make sure that you realize that these, these issues are, they matter and they need to be properly addressed. And you don't have to be a voice for us. You can actually just stand alongside of us and, and help to, to raise awareness to this issue. Pass the mic. And uh, Kendall, one last thing. For all the black mothers-to-be that are listening right now, do you have any advice for them? Always know your options. Always know your choices. Even if you don't want to hire a doula, um, I would say to consult with us so that we can make sure that you're well taken care of during your um, birthing process. All right. Our guest today was Kenda sutton L, Executive Director of the Birth in Color RVA Foundation. Thanks so much, Kenda. Thank you. And thank you to our dear listeners for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week, same time, same place. We will continue to fight oppressive policies, and we hope you will continue to listen to our show and support however you can. You can easily find all of our shows on your favorite podcast app by searching for The Justice Report. Follow us on Twitter at VPLC or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Virginia Poverty Law Center. If you have any questions, comments, insults, or hey, get rich quick schemes, feel free to email us at radioshow at vplc.org. Thanks for listening to The Justice Report on WRIR 97.3 FM. Tune in every Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. to hear about the policies that help or hurt our low-income neighbors. The Justice Report is a project of the Virginia Poverty Law Center. You can learn more about VPLC at vplc.org. And remember, it's never just us for justice. This is The Justice Report.